Hello and welcome to Nerd Vomit. My name is Doug. I'm a nerd. This is my vomit. Let's get right into it. Um, some of this is stuff I've already seen and kind of want to touch base about again. Some of this is new stuff. Uh, Walking Dead hit its mid-season finale, and I'll be getting into that along with a kind of sub-Reddit, sub-conversation about one of the characters from The Walking Dead. And uh, I'm just excited for all of this. I was watching the new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000, MST3K, on Netflix, and one of the movies that they had to watch, which I had to watch, was called Atlantic Rim, which is exactly what you think it is, a really bad Pacific Rim ripoff. While I was watching it, there's a guy who plays the general, and I'm like, man, he looks fucking familiar. Like, it was driving me nuts that I couldn't think of where I'd no seen him. So, of course, I went to IMDb, looked it up, and I was like, oh, he was one of the, like, kind of main side cops in Die Hard 3. So, of course, what do I do? I stopped watching uh, MST3K for a moment, and I went and rewatched Die Hard 3 uh, uh, with Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, and Jeremy Irons. Still holds up. Still the second best Die Hard. Really, I, personally speaking, would say it's the best Die Hard. Um... I know it's slightly controversial, because the first Die Hard is objectively, like, I mean, well, no, no, let me rephrase that. Yes, objectively, the first. I was right. The first one is subjectively the best. It has to be. But, uh, subjectively, I think the third one is the best. It's actually one that I quote fairly often. Uh, there's a scene where um, Simon, played by Jeremy Irons, is kind of doing this like cat and mouse Riddler Batman thing with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, and he, you know, always goes like, "Oh, you have to be, you know, from the A to B in like 20 minutes or whatever it is, and you must find this and solve this riddle, this puzzle." And at one point, he goes, Jeremy Irons says, "You know, uh, you know, you can walk there. It's fine. There's no time limit necessarily." And he goes. Take a time, John. No rush. Now, I say that to people when I'm like, hey, I, I need this thing at work, um, but it's not time sensitive. And they kind of look at me and I go, take a time, John. No rush. Now, they have no idea what the fuck I'm quoting, because why would they know that? Like, unless they are obsessed with movies and can memorize them the way I can, they shouldn't. Um, they just know I'm doing a weird voice. Um, normally the only time I do a weird voice at work and they know what the hell I'm doing is when I do Bane. Uh, Jeremy Irons from Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, not so much. Um, and in case you're wondering, because I know I'm going to get tweeted at, uh, in terms of the Die Hards, how I would rank them is the first one, the third one, the fourth one, the second one, the fifth one. Fifth one sucked ass. Um, this one where John McClane goes to Russia to save his son that's in the CIA. It's like dumb, 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 stupid, silly, awful. Um, I put the fourth one above the second one only because the second one is basically, it's the one in the airport and it's kind of cool because it was filmed in the state I live in in an old airport that's not there anymore called Stapleton. And I like William Sandler as the bad guy. He was also Death in uh, the second Bill and Ted's. He was in, I believe, he might have been one of the bad marines in con air uh not con air um the rock don't quote me on that though um and i like him as, as like a bad guy as an actor um but really it's effectively the same movie as the first die hard but at an airport 
Um, so I, I thought it was a little contrived and cliche, being that you only had one movie to separate the two, and it still was a cliche. Um, that's how great the first Die Hard is, is everything after that. Man Trapped Alone is effectively kind of a cliche of the first Die Hard. So I watched Die Hard 3, and then I took uh, went and watched the new Predator movie called The Predator. I like that Shane Black took a hard R stance on it, and I will talk about the sexual Predator joke that's the Predator in the room right now. Um, but in terms of a peer review, I like that Shane Black took a stance on hard R in terms of language and violence. He was, in an interview, said that he was watching the American, I think it was The Grudge, the American remake of The Grudge, which is PG-13, and he said, I really hated that every time the ghost person or whatever was about to do something violent or scary, they kind of cut away from it. And he goes, I pushed for an R for Predator because when the Predator does something violent... We, like, almost zoom in on it. Um, lots of people lose their limbs and heads getting shot off and blood everywhere, and it's pretty awesome. I loved the uh, supporting cast as well with um, Thomas Jane and Michael Keegan Key. Uh, there was someone else in there that I really liked, and now I can't think of who it was. Um, oh, Sterling K. Brown as kind of the bad um, government operative who's trying to capture the Predator as well to, like, weaponize it. Um... This movie was supposed to start as kind of a soft reboot, and Shane Black went, no, I want to explore more of the Predator mythology. And the premise is that basically this, the Predators have been experimenting on themselves to like evolve to become better Predators. Um, oh, Olivia Munn was really good in this too. Sorry, I meant to drop that earlier when I was thinking about the supporting characters. And so the like Super Predator uh, kills this other Predator that's on Earth to try to, like, the little Predator is trying to save Earth uh, by giving us this Predator Killer, <laughs> which is like cybernetic anti-Predator armor by the end of it, which is, I mean, cool, but it's like, eh, a little on the nose, guys. After they end up defeating the Super Predator by uh, basically uh, blowing it up with its own grenade and then shooting it in the head repeatedly, which I wasn't aware... Well, I guess, yeah. The thing is, the Predators can be taken down by headshots. That's happened, I believe, in the second movie. But uh, this one, they said something about him growing like an exoskeleton or a um, exoskeleton like underneath, uh, with like thought um, or his enhanced predator genetics. Um, I mean, so I mean, a headshot necessarily in a skull wouldn't work, and I can't remember if they got him in the skull or if they shot him to like the eye socket, which I guess would be the soft part uh, if you're not Superman um, from that awful scene um, in Superman Returns where the bullet bounces off his unblinking eye, which was like. Oh, sweet Jesus, I did, we didn't need that. In terms of, like I said, the Predator in the room, yes, Shane Black had uh, a friend who is a uh, pled guilty to sexual predatory stuff. I'm not going to get totally into that. You can Wikipedia either the movie or um, that actor's whose name I can't think of off the top of my head. And Olivia Munn said, I have a scene with a literal sexual predator. This is ridiculous. I demand it to be cut. And no one really came to her, like, aid. Like, no one really backed her. Um, Shane Black did after Backlash came out against him. And I think Tom, either Thomas Jane or Sterling K. Brown came out and said, like, we, we back you. And Fox was begrudgingly, which is ridiculous, begrudgingly, like, cut the scene, which I could not tell. 
I mean, obviously this guy had like such a fucking bit part that even cutting it didn't didn't matter. I mean, he could have not been in the final cut anyway, um, other than Shane Black was trying to do his friend a favor. And I don't know if his Shane Black knew his friend had done this. Um, I, I am not going to suppose anything on either Shane Black or this guy's friendship. But, um, you know, I don't think he'll be in any more Shane Black movies or any other movies. I think his life is pretty, as an actor, is pretty much over. Luckily, he's not incredibly well-recognized. I don't even know what he looks like because I don't even care to look him up because he's a piece of shit. You know it's not a piece of shit? Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I rewatched that as well. Just as a palate cleanser from, like, Die Hard and The Predator. I was doing a lot of action movies, so I kind of wanted... Uh, and MST3K, it's like I can only watch, like, one episode every couple of days because it's an hour and a half long, and I have to watch a bad movie with them. I mean, yeah, it's funny, and uh, there were a lot of great jokes on um, the last couple episodes, uh, but I kind of needed a palate cleanser. Uh, so I rewatched Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which I... We'll never forget how funny that movie is. It's basically a romantic comedy for guys. Um, so if you're guys, if you're listening to this and you've never seen it, highly recommended. Uh, Jason Siegel, Paul Rudd, Kristen Bell, Russell Brand, uh, Jack McBriar. Uh, man, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the, the big black guy. He's, he's in stuff. I can't think of his name. Uh, Mila Kunis, of course, one of the main characters. Uh, it's basically guy gets his heart broken by a girl and he kind of goes on kind of a soul search, um, in Hawaii. And of course he comes across his ex who's there with her boy, her new boyfriend or whatever you want to call it. If you've seen it, Russell Brand and, uh, kind of the trials and tribulations, but it's super funny, uh, raunchy rom-com. Uh, but it was, it's aimed at guys, which I really kind of respected because Jason Siegel went, let's flip this convention on its head. And if you listen to the podcast we have about writing, um, I do an entire episode about turning conventions on their head. So Sarah Marshall very much does that and still holds up as one of the funniest comedies I think I've ever seen. It also paved the way for Jason Siegel to both write and, um, star in, the relaunch of the Muppet movies, which the one with him in it was great. Muppets Most Wanted, not as great. I will say that. Not as great. But you know what is great, other than these segues, uh, is the Walking Dead mid-season finale. Now, like I said, I usually only bring up these shows on premieres, mid-season finales, and finales, unless there's something huge that happens. This meets the criteria of mid-season finale. Um, Walking Dead divided in half, eight episodes per half. This was basically, the first half was setting up a whole bunch of stuff, and it was really exciting to watch them set up what's going to happen with Rick and the military copter, and Anne, who's the junkyard woman that I keep mistakenly referring to as Jaundice for no reason other than it amuses me. They set up that, you know, Negan's still saying, like, this world, like, you're just keeping me here until you need me, because this world, you will need me. And then, zombies have been acting weird, and we're going to find out why in just a little bit, if you haven't already seen it. They pretty much move the story along in a fast pace by using a flash forward. They've jumped ahead years. Um, Rick is not there. Maggie's not there, which, one again, is interesting, because it's going to be Andrew Lincoln and... Lauren Cohan's last season on the show, so I'm sure they're going to explain where Maggie went, 
um, as well as what's going on with Rick. And uh, so I'm expecting them to like flash back, uh, quote unquote, to like present day, as opposed to staying in the future to show what's going on or what happened rather, what divided uh, the communities of, of Hilltop and Alexandria and Oceanside and the kingdom, which has now become kind of a, a fractured uh, mirror uh, reflection of what was in present time to us that, you know, they were becoming like a cohesive unit of communities and uh, Michonne was running a compact and a set of laws for uh, the whole community of communities to function under. The two big talking points on the mid-season finale are Negan has now escaped uh, his cell. Uh, someone didn't close the door all the way, whether that was on purpose or not, we don't know. Um, it seems like the last person to close the door was... Uh, Father Gabriel, who was very not happy with Negan, so why wouldn't he close the door all the way? Uh, or uh, there was a guard who unlocked him um, from his handcuffs while he uh, was talking to Gabriel. But Gabriel was the last one to close the door, so I don't know if the guard fucked up or Gabriel didn't close it all the way, or this is just the MacGuffin, this is just the, you know, uh, deus ex machina, or deus ex machina of you know, letting Negan out into the world that will eventually need him. So it'll be interesting to see uh, Negan wandering around Alexandria going, hey, I'm back. Uh, the other major talking point, the Whispers are here, effectively. They've they've revealed who the Whispers are in that there are people dressed like zombies uh, that manage to kind of almost corral uh, other zombies. And... When one of them kills Jesus, uh, the character Jesus, uh, and make your own Jesus coming back as a zombie joke all you want, um, it's not beneath me or you when you listen to this, so don't worry about it. Um, he whispers something about, like, you know, you do not belong to this world. And the Whispers are a group of people who believe that the dead have inherited the world. Us living, we're just living in it, literally. Um, not just figuratively. So they've taken on, like, dressing like the dead, being the dead, moving with the dead, um, and they communicate through whispering, uh, so as not to, like, you know, freak out the other zombies, I suppose, but it freaks out the living like a motherfucker. So right now the whispers have a small group of survivors surrendered, uh, surrounded, rather, um, now, poor choice on the whispers because some of those survivors are Michonne, um, Daryl, and, oof, it's Ross uh, Marquardt is the actor, and I can't think of the the name of his character, I want to say it's Alan, but I don't think that's right, but he's got, like, a, uh, uh, Ash versus, you know, Evil Dead, like, mechanical hand now, so, Whispers might be fucked, depending on how many of them there are, but they did reveal that, yes, they're basically the living in, in dead suits, um, but they seem to be able to corral zombies and move them, uh, and that, you know, they're, they're basically, I mean, yes, they're living, but they're effectively smart zombies. They can strategize, they can um, move herds or small groups of them. And, of course, you can't tell that they're living or dead. So when you go to attack one, um, they're not shambling, they're not slow moving. They can react as humans with combat experience and strategy, which is terrifying. And... This is that subreddit thing I was talking about, hot on the heels of the 
uh, Walking Dead mid-season finale is that they've released the Tekken 7 gameplay trailer of Negan, uh, where he literally does the eeny, meeny, miny, mo scene from Walking Dead with a bunch of people from Tekken. Now, I'm not a huge fighting game fan. Um, I The last one I tried to play was Injustice 2. I found the controls too complicated. The, the fighting system was too... I'm sorry, sophisticated for me. Like, and I'm not saying I want to go back to like the old school NES, like A, B, and that's it. But like, it was like, get to this and there's an environmental thing and hit like four buttons all at once. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even deal with this. Like, just give me like light punch, heavy punch, light kick, kick, throw, dodge. I mean, give me like basic controls with a little bit of flair, but let's not go batshit crazy on how much you can do in a fighting game. It's just a fighting game in my opinion. My friend sent me the, he goes, oh, you got to check out this trailer. And this is a friend who he complains that I never like outright finish games. He's like, you either start a new game plus, uh, so you're never putting it down or like, you know, you kind of stop after you get like 99% of stuff done and you just kind of beat the game. Um, this is the same friend that wants me to finish all of the Riddler challenges in Batman, which I will talk about later. But I, uh, Watched the trailer this morning with Negan <laughs> and immediately texted him back and was like, great, now I gotta get that game too. Um, I already have, literally, I bought two games that I haven't even taken the cellophane off of. Because I got the new Spyro remastered and I got the uh, My Hero Academia fighting game because it looked fun, let's be honest. And as a fighting game, I could use it as a palate cleanser between huge undertakings like Spider-Man and Batman Arkham Knight. Um, so yeah, so that Negan trailer, man. It's awesome. Basically, it's just Negan kicking the crap out of ninjas or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't play Tekken, but I, I imagine they're like fairly grounded fighting people. I, I don't know. I don't play Tekken. Um, it's not like they have a green guy that shoots electricity like in Street Fighter 2. Don't worry. I know his name's Blanca. I was just making a joke about it being a green guy shooting lightning. And I still don't quite understand. I mean, I, I guess I could see the connective tissue of... If you learn yoga, you can stretch like Dalsim, but how does yoga, like, teach you to breathe fire? Or is that just, like, I, I don't know, like, some kind of weird Indian stereotype that I'm unaware of that, <laughs> is that Indian guy? I bet he can breathe fire. Like, that's not a thing, is it? But I digress, um, but only slightly, because I'm still going to talk about video games at the end of this. So I have returned to Batman to solve all of the Riddler's riddles. Um, this is the only game where, one, I'm just going to save Catwoman and then take a break um, in terms of the Riddler challenges, but in terms of like the Riddler like trophies and um, the puzzles, they are worthy of the Riddler. They are insanely challenging. Um, and, in, you know, there are just times where I... I don't get it. I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I'm not Batman. I'm not that goddamn smart. And I'm not the Riddler. I'm not that goddamn smart either. The Arkham games in terms of the Riddler trophies are the only games I'm always willing to buy the strategy guide for. Um, I did for Arkham. Ooh, it's Asylum. Arkham City was the second one. Um, cause there were just some where I'm like, I don't know how to get that. And I want it. Um, and I don't even think I got all the trophies on, um, Arkham City, but to unlock the full Nightfall protocol, which my friend is yelling at me to do, I'm going to have to do all of the Riddler trophies and challenges. So 
I'm going to get the strategy guide. Why am I not getting like all my information online? Well, in that, uh, in terms of like such a large map of Gotham City that would necessitates a Batmobile to get around, um, I need like maps and reference points and kind of breakdowns that I don't really find online uh, that work well. Um, and I don't want to spend my time searching for like reference points for just one trophy. So I'm going to get the book next week. And I know some people would think it's cheating, but really I've done everything else um, on my own. So give me a break. Um, I beat, you know, I got all of the trophies in Arkham Asylum on my own. So meh. But this is usually the, uh, the only games that I'm, I really buy strategy guides for. But once I uh, save Catwoman, I'm going to take a break from Arkham until I get that book. And uh, I don't know which new game I'm going to play. Um, Spyro would be probably a decent um, palette cleanser, but it's like three games in one, uh, much like that Assassin's Creed I haven't touched in a while. So I don't know. And I've got that Hellblade game, but that looks really intense. And I, I don't want to have another intense game thing, um, like I said. And especially because the final Spider-Man DLC is coming in probably two, three weeks. So I need something that I can kind of get in and out of. Oh, I'll probably do Spyro. That sounds fun. I never played Spyro on the original Playstations. Um, so maybe I'll give that a whirl. So that solves that question that no one had except for me. Uh, and that's it. That's that's all of my vomit. It's all out of me. Uh, it's, it's now in your ears. That's gross. I'm sorry I implied that I vomit in your ears. But I guess calling a show Nerd Vomit that you, you know, listen to with your ears, that was bound to happen, I still don't have a catchphrase or a closing for this for this show, but I will see you, uh, or I will talk to you, and you will listen to me. Well, that sounded threatening, uh, but I'd like it if, if you listen to me while I talked to you. Next week, so, you know, in that you have a whole week. So, take your time, John. No rush. If you like this, check out some of our other shows, like Mr. Right. Exotic Liability, and no applause, just the clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.